And isn't the book of Ruth fun, right? I just think the book of Ruth is fun. I've loved digging into the book of Ruth. I've loved preaching it and walking through it with you. It is a masterful love story. But what are we supposed to learn from it? What are we in 2019 supposed to learn from this chapter? Why did God include it in the Bible? Well, he included it in the Bible to teach us something very important about making a name for ourselves and to illustrate two different ways to do that. Make no mistake, this entire chapter is about making a name for yourself. I mean, think about it. Verses 1 through 6 are all about the rights of a kinsman redeemer. And when you push through all the legal details that I explained, the bottom line is, will you preserve someone else's name at the expense of your own? Will you preserve someone else's name? Will you make a name for someone else at the expense of your own name? That is the fundamental question of verses 1 through 6. Then in verses 11 and 12, when the crowd prayed and and blessed Boaz, how did they bless him? What did they pray? They prayed that God would make his name great, that he would have many children, that his name would become famous in Bethlehem. Then in verses 17 through 20, the chapter ends with an amazing twist. One of Boaz and Ruth's descendants became the most famous man in Israel. No one had a greater name in Israel than King David. So from the start of this chapter to the end of this chapter, it is all about making a name for yourself, and in particular, two different ways to go about doing that. One personified by Boaz, one personified by Mr. What's-His-Name. One by Boaz, one by this other guy that we don't even know. And to understand the two approaches, you need to understand a little bit about Israel's culture. You see, in Israel's day, the way that you achieved status, the way that you made a name for yourself was through family and land. Whoever had the most land and had the most children had the greatest standing in society. That's different for us today. Most, most of people today, the way that we earn status or make a name for ourselves in America is through personal achievement. Okay, so if, if you make more money than this other person, if you have more educational degrees, when you compare yourself with your college friends or with your high school friends on social media, those are the kind of things you're asking. Do I live in a bigger house? Okay, my house is smaller, but do I live in a cooler city, right? Like, what, what kind of job do they have? What kind of job do I have, right? We measure our worth. We make a name for ourselves through personal achievement. So our cultures do it in different ways, but it's the same goal. We're both trying to make a name for ourselves, and this story shows us two different ways to do that. The first is the way of Mr. What's-His-Name, and that's through self-promotion. The second is the way of Boaz, and that is through self-sacrifice. The first is through self-promotion. The second is through self-sacrifice. Let's look at the first way. The first way that you and I might make a name for ourselves today, the way of self-promotion. This other guy, Mr. So-and-so, tried to make a name for himself by acquiring more land and wealth. I mean, that was the conventional approach of his society. That's why he jumped at the opportunity to acquire the land at first. The Hebrew is really emphatic. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll do it. That's literally how it should be translated. Oh, I'll do it. Like he was so excited to get this land, to expand his inheritance that he jumped on it. But he backed off really fast when he realized that it wasn't going to be a good investment for him. He said, oh, no, I can't do it if it's going to cost me land. I can't do it if it's going to cost my children land. I can't do it if it's going to impair my inheritance, as he said. Simply put, this man chose the way of self-promotion. And allow me to suggest that this is the dominant and natural way that we operate. Self-promotion is the dominant and natural way that we operate. Now, you and I don't do it through acquiring land, probably, but I think we do it a number of other ways. We we pursue self-promotion in relationships, right? Most of us prefer to befriend people who elevate our social status, whether that's because they're successful or good-looking or the life of the party, 
But we avoid people who are awkward or irritating. Self-promotion in relationships. We promote ourselves and our commitments. We often ask the question, what do I stand to gain from this activity, to gain from this organization or this commitment, rather than what can I contribute? Pursue self-promotion and commitments. We often pursue self-promotion at work. And we try to highlight our contributions, which is why, by the way, isn't it agonizing when someone else gets credit for one of your ideas? Has that ever happened to you? It's so agonizing because we're so consumed. No, 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 that was my idea. You need to praise me. I need my name to be elevated. The fundamental question at work in all of these realms, when we are operating by the, by the principle of self-promotion, here's the question that we're, that we're asking at, its, at the most fundamental level. Here it is. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Just like Mr. So-and-so, we evaluate the benefit, and if it doesn't add up, we pass. We perform our own return on investment calculation, and if the numbers don't match up, we often say no. This is the dominant and natural way that our culture operates, right? Myself included. But what I want us to see from this text is the outcome of that approach, is the outcome of doing things the way our culture does things. Just think for a second about the guy who chose the path of self-promotion. We don't even know his name. We don't even know his name. Isn't that poignant? Right? Isn't that interesting that the man who sought to make a name for himself through self-promotion is forgotten? He is just dissolved in history? Why is that? Because self-promotion produces a short-term gain but a long-term loss. Self-promotion produces a short-term gain, but a long-term loss. In college, I was obsessed with making a name for myself. And in some ways, it paid off. I received some nice accolades and plaques. I got invited to some fancy dinners. But then I graduated, and everyone forgot about me. Everyone forgot about me. And the the new group of seniors took center stage. Self-promotion will oftentimes help you make a name for yourself for a season, but it will always end. That's just simply how life works. If you try to make a name for yourself through self-promotion, you might get the new job, you might get the new car, you might get the new house, you might get a bid to the right fraternity. But in a few months, everyone is going to forget about it. In a few months, you're going to be right back where you started, looking for the next job, looking for the next car, looking for the next social club that you want to be involved in. When we seek to make a name for ourselves through self-promotion, It is a short-term gain, but a long-term loss. But unfortunately, that's the only way most of us have ever seen. That's the fuel that our culture runs on. I have to watch out for number one, right? If I don't look out for me, who else is going to? But God wants us to see that there is a different and better way, a way that does not lead to your name being forgotten from the pages of history and referred to as Mr. Whatchacallit. Right? The way of self-sacrifice, the way of Boaz. Here's the second way that you can make a name for yourself. Self-sacrifice. Boaz did not take the conventional approach. In fact, rather than promoting his status, he kept sacrificing his status over and over again. By chapter 4, he was less wealthy because he gave up so much grain, and he was less renowned in the community because he wanted to marry a foreigner. Everything Boaz had done throughout this whole story, made him go lower and lower in in society. His name got smaller and smaller. And keep in mind that all the disadvantages that made this other guy say, no, 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 I can't redeem it. That'll impair my inheritance. All those disadvantages still applied to Boaz, right? Boaz would have to pay a substantial amount of money 
to get this land. He would have to marry and provide children for Ruth. And then when those kids came of age, they would inherit that land back. He wouldn't keep it. Right? Elimelech's name, not Boaz's name, would be increased. So from a conventional perspective, this was a terrible idea. This was bad return on investment. This was going to hurt Boaz's status, hurt his name, not help it. So why did Boaz do it? Because Boaz was asking a fundamentally different question. Rather than asking, what's in it for me, Boaz was asking, how can I help them? Rather than asking, what's in it for me, Boaz was asking, how can I help them? Boaz gave himself away so that Naomi and Ruth could be redeemed, so that they could be restored, so that they could have a name. Boaz sacrificed himself to save Ruth and Naomi. And in so doing, he illustrated the dominant theme of the book of Ruth, the dominant theme of this story, which is the sacrificial love of God. What I told you last week, the Old Testament calls hesed. Hesed. You see, Boaz's love wasn't calculating. He didn't look at the situation and size it up and say, all right, this is what I'm going to gain. This is what I'm going to loss. Now I'm going to make a decision. No, he looked at two women that were in desperate need and he said, I have the ability to help them. I have the ability to keep Elimelech's family from dying out. So I'm going to sacrifice to do it. And like Boaz, God looks at our lives and chooses to love us even though he knows we're not a good investment. God's love is not calculating. God is not looking at you thinking, man, is she going to add up? Is she going to make all the right choices? Is she going to pay me back for my love? No. He looks at you. He sees you in your need. He looks at me. He sees me in my need, and he acts, and he acts in sacrificial love. Why? Because it is core to who he is. From start to finish, the Bible tells us that God is a God of sacrificial love. We have nothing to offer him, we have nothing that he needs, and yet he consistently comes for us, and he consistently lays down for us, and he consistently gives us hope by laying down his own rights and privileges. And isn't it amazing that the God of the Bible is not capricious, he is not selfish, he is not a distant, cold judge, but he is a loving, sacrificial father. And here's what I love. Here's what I love about this story. Boaz gave up his name to help other people, right? He gave up his name for Naomi and Ruth. And in response, God made Boaz's name great. Following that? Boaz gave up his name, and in response, God made Boaz's name great. Verse 13 is really important. It says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Remember, Ruth, Ruth had been infertile for 10 years. So the odds of having children wasn't great. But the Lord intervened. He gave Ruth conception and she gave birth to a son. Do you know that verse 13 is only the second time in the entire book of Ruth that God directly intervenes? Only the second time in the entire book of Ruth. Now, God is always behind the scenes orchestrating events, but this is only the second time that he directly intervenes. When Boaz gave up his name, God intervened to make Boaz's name great. Boaz's family became the most prestigious in all of Israel and would one day include Jesus Christ. God intervened to make Boaz's name great. And here's what that teaches us. When you worry about others, God worries about you. When you worry about others, God worries about you. Or as Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. When you worry about others, God worries about you. Now, 
I could stop here. And that would be kind of a typical sermon, right, that you've heard before. Like, oh, all right, go care about other people, right? I could stop here and say, go and do likewise, but we probably wouldn't. None of us probably would. Why? All we've ever known our whole lives is watch out for number one. That's what our culture teaches us to do. If you're a UVA student, that is subtly what your entire academic environment is going to teach you to do. I'm living proof. Right? If you're in the workforce, that's what it's going to teach you to do. Our culture, our hearts tell us, promote yourself. You have to watch out for number one or no one else will. So where do we get the power to actually do this? How do we learn to trust God and like Boaz, lay down what we can see and instead trust by faith? How do we know that if we lay down our lives, that we'll be taken care of? Will we gain that power, we gain that trust by contemplating the sacrifice of the truer and better Boaz, which is Jesus Christ. One pastor said, every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. Every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. And in Ruth, we see a profound picture of the gospel at work. How so? Well, consider this. Think about it. Elimelech left the promised land and died. Because of his sin, Naomi and Ruth we're left without a family name. We were created to be children of God, children of the promised land. But like Elimelech, we've all chosen to go our own way. We've all walked in sin, and as a result, we've lost our family name. Naomi and Ruth had no way of restoring themselves on their own. They couldn't do it. They needed a redeemer to intervene and to give them new life. In the same way, you and I have no way of restoring our family name either. We have no way of restoring our relationship with God on our own. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We need a redeemer. We need someone from the outside to see us in our plight and to care. Through great personal sacrifice, Boaz redeemed Naomi and Ruth. Why? Because he was a worthy man. Through greater personal sacrifice, Jesus chose to redeem you and me. Why? Because he was the perfect man. As a result of Boaz's sacrifice, hear me, Naomi and Ruth were redeemed and restored. Naomi no longer felt empty and Ruth was given a new identity. As a result of Jesus' sacrifice for you and me, we can be redeemed and restored. We can trade the emptiness of self-promotion for the abundant life of Christ. And we can find our identity no longer in our achievements, no longer in our titles, no longer in our degrees or our GPA, but we can find our identity in Christ alone. Boaz humbled himself, and God exalted him. He gave him a name that has endured for thousands and thousands of years. Jesus humbled himself, and God exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Boaz gave up his name. He gave up his name. He let himself be made small so that Naomi and Ruth could have theirs back. Jesus gave up his life so that you can have yours back. If you think Boaz is a good guy, you have no idea who Jesus is. He left heaven. He left power. He left praise. He left authority. And he came down and he took on weakness. And he took on flesh. And though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now let me ask you a very personal and practical question. When Ruth moved in with Boaz... Do you think she wandered around worrying about what she was going to eat that day? Do you think she constantly questioned his motives? Do you think she wondered, oh, I don't know if Boaz is trustworthy? Of course not. When Ruth moved in with Boaz, she trusted him. Why? Because he had paid the greater price to get her. He wasn't going to abandon her with the small things of daily living. You following me? 
If Jesus gave up his life to save you, is he going to abandon you in your day-to-day living? Is he going to abandon you at work? Is he going to abandon you at school? Is he going to abandon you in relationships? Is he going to abandon you in your family? No. Which is why the, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 32 is almost beside himself when he says, he who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When you see that Jesus has been Boaz to you, it empowers you to be like Boaz to others. Because you no longer have to protect your name. You no longer have to watch out for number one because you know someone with far greater wisdom than you and far greater power than you is watching out for you. So let me close by asking the question that I started with. Which of these approaches, self-promotion or self-sacrifice, characterizes your life? Which approach characterizes your relationships? Which approach characterizes your marriage? Which approach characterizes your attitude towards the church? Are you primarily looking out for number one? Are you primarily asking what's in it for me? Or are you primarily looking to lay down your life for the sake of others? When we realize Hear me, when we realize that Jesus accomplished our salvation by laying down his life for us, it should lead us to lay down our lives for the sake of others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful story of Ruth. Thank you for what it teaches us about your character. Thank you that you are God of sacrificial love which is put most fully on display in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that the reality of that truth would settle into our hearts today, that those who have never received that truth, have never surrendered to that truth, would do that today. They'd they'd find redemption, they'd find restoration, they'd find new identity, just like Naomi and Ruth did. I pray for those of us who have been walking with you for some time, that that truth would never go old, that it would never grow tired, but that it would be an energy and it would be an engine within us that leads us to worship, and that leads us to joyfully lay down our lives for the sake of others. Lord, make us a church full of people that are so captured by your beauty and your glory and your sacrificial love that we treat those around us in the same way. Father, we love you, and we invite your spirit to help us do that today.